Welcome to the Subway Station Sports Podcast. I'm Jonathan Chernin. And I'm Nolan Sullivan. And uh, today we're going to be talking about the New York Mets and the fact that they are continuing to prove that they are the most embarrassing franchise in all of sports. Congratulations, New York Mets. You have once again met it. Yeah, the Mets are going to met, man. I mean, it's like we had so like such high hopes for the season. And then ever since Edwin Diaz got hurt, it kind of just like that kind of started like a barrel roll of just terrible, terrible baseball. We're paying $400 million for an under 500 team that um, can't put any starts together. As we're talking right now, the Mets are already losing to the Reds one nothing. Uh, with David Peterson on the mound, he has not figured stuff out yet. Tyler McGill, who we thought would be the answer, um, well, it's May now. He's not Tyler McGill anymore. <laughs> uh, you know, he's Mr. April. Uh, then you got Joey Lucchese, who is probably one of the more average pitchers you'll find. Um, or he's below average. At best, he's average. Um and then we got Jose Buto. Like, what World Series contending team that you can think of has David Peterson, Tyler McGill, Jose Buto, and Joey Lucchese in the rotation? None. I mean, None. it's it's like you need pitching if you want to, like, even have a chance in this league. And yep. the Mets pitching has, utter, has been just utterly abysmal. Like, it's it's – it's not even, like, bad. It's been abysmal. Like, not to mention Verlander's already gone on the I.L. Scherzer's yep. already got suspended. And now he's and, having, like, an injury problem. Like, yep. it's it's like he's having a whole bunch of things. It's, it, like, it, it's right now we're looking at the downfall of the Mets. I didn't know. I mean, I to be honest, I didn't know that the Mets were still in the Wilpon era. But, you know, seems like seems like yeah. it's uh, happening right now. And. There's more mistakes to it. Um, by the way, before I go into this, we're 28th and 29th and 30th in most pitching categories, mm-hmm. uh, which is embarrassing for, for a big market team like this. But the Mets' biggest issue, in my opinion, is uh, general manager Billy Epler. Five consecutive losing seasons with the Angels – uh, has to say something about his track record. He couldn't win with Trout and Otani. Yeah, and- I mean, that, I mean that's true. I mean, Billy Epler. I mean, like he's had his ups and he's certainly has had his downs with the New York Mets so far. So I mean, it's I, I right right now it's just like I'm just in shock about this whole season so far. It's it's been like really rough to watch this team. I mean, swept by the Tigers, losing games to the Nationals, the Rockies, getting swept by the Rockies, losing games to these teams is just flat out unacceptable. And this goes back, this all reflects on Billy Epler and his unwillingness uh, to admit that he's wrong with things. I mean, he last year bot not only botched the trade deadline, but he also possibly botched the development of uh, guys like Francisco Alvarez, who he's starting to come around now, but the way he brought him up 
okay, now he's going to be a little bit more cautious about bringing up prospects. But last year when he brought them up, he brought them up in the most important seat series of the season against Atlanta. Um, and then the on the line. And then with the wild card. And the wild card game. Like, that's mm-hmm. not how you bring up prospects. You bring them up to start the year or halfway through the year. You do not bring them up in the last month of the season. And then uh, we probably lost a lot more games this year, too, because we had Brett Beatty sitting down in Syracuse for the first month of the season, uh, or most of the first month, that is. Mm-hmm. And stuff like that, it's just unacceptable, and you can't really respect that. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I no, I completely understand. I mean, it's – I feel like we if we bring up the kids now instead of waiting, like why are – like we brought up Francisco Alvarez and Brett Beatty. Why are we waiting on Mark Vientos and Ronnie Mauricio? You know, it's like do we really like having a retirement home? Yeah. Like it, 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 it's really – It's pissing me off because you want to develop these guys, but then you're also cautious about bringing them up. It's 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 showing that you don't have a lot of faith with them being in the major leagues. Like if you don't want to bring up Ronnie Mauricio and Mark Vientos are, I mean, both of them combined have like or like average. They have they're averaging like a three fifty. They have like twelve home runs combined, and they have like forty RBIs combined. It's it. They, by I don't the way, understand it. they have more than 12 uh, combined, and that's just – okay, think about the performance that they're doing. They're performing – the two of them are performing in AAA at a better level than what Mike Trout is doing in the big leagues right now. I know they're not Mike Trout, but when AAA pitching is looking like T-ball or Little League, mm-hmm. you know that there's, there's an issue uh, and it's time to bring them up. They're ready. There's, I don't see how there's much more you need to see. I mean, it's not like they're batting 260 with five homers or less. No, they're killing it in AAA. Mm-hmm. And it's not just one. It was all of them. Yeah. And, you know, how many more times do we have to run Tommy Pham and Mark Canna? And, listen, I'm a big fan of the guy. Daniel Vogelback. Uh, Tomas Nito, and then to solve the Nito problem, by the way, it's a non-existent issue. Narvaez comes back, you trade Nito for cash considerations, and you keep Francisco Alvarez. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead, we decide to make another bonehead move, and we sign failed New York Yankee Gary Sanchez, which continues the old narrative that we still want all the Yankees' uh, damaged goods. I mean, Gary Sanchez is a guy that, okay, he can hit home runs five years ago, but now the best he's going to give you is a 210 batting average with maybe 10, 15 homers. And I'm sorry. I that think, ain't- yeah, no, I think, I think a, a 210 batting average churn is a little, it's, it's a little, you know, it's a little too high for his standards. I would give it about a 190 where he is at right now. Yeah. I, I mean, I was being generous, but. Uh, <laughs> Uh, let's face it, not only that, right? You're going to think, with a guy defense that bad, those numbers are unacceptable. He's one of the worst defensive catchers in baseball. Mm-hmm. And this podcast right now, the intent is not bash Gary Sanchez. The intent is bash the New York Mets. Uh, because Gary Sanchez should not have been the guy that we should have considered. If we felt we really needed to sign 
uh, multiple catchers because we didn't feel Alvarez was ready. Why not go after a guy like Wilson Contreras? Why didn't we go after Wilson Contreras? And when uh, Alvarez would have been ready in their eyes, mm-hmm. they could DH Contreras because he'll still give you 270, 280 yep. with 25 or more homers. And at the DH spot, that would have been a lot better than um, a 260, the highest batting average from a Tommy Pham or a Daniel Vogel back. Yeah. Uh, we're not even getting that. And yeah. we're not even getting the power from Vogel back. And as I said, I'm a huge Daniel Vogelback fan. I respect the guy. Uh, he's fun to watch. He's got a great personality, great clubhouse presence. I'm not saying get rid of him. I'm saying that he's not an everyday guy. I do not think Mark Canna is an everyday outfielder. I do not think Tommy Pham is an everyday outfielder. I feel like Eduardo Escobar deserves some reps at DH. Eduardo Escobar is a better player than every single guy that they run out there every single day at the designated hitter spot. Or DH Francisco Alvarez, if you really want to, uh, if you really want to play 195 hitting Tomas Nito, uh, DH Alvarez get mm-hmm. his bat in the lineup because he's red hot right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I completely agree. It's, I mean, you basically covered it all. I mean, you know why? Why are we putting out like? Why, I mean, Escobar has been sitting on the bench. He didn't have the best start to it to, it, to the season. And obviously we see Beatty who has just blown up because Beatty is Beatty. We've known that Beatty had the talent. It just had to come out at some point and it has. And it's the same thing with Francisco Alvarez. But, you know, putting Tomas Nito out there and having Mark Hanna, I mean, I was high on Mar- Mark Hanna, but he just he, he hasn't really been producing. And like you said, I don't think he's an everyday outfielder at this point anymore. And same thing with Tommy Pham and, and Daniel Vogelback. I mean, Daniel Vogelback, like, why are, why is he our everyday DH? We need we need to make a change, and I honestly think the only change we have right now is bringing up the kids. It's, it saves money. We could trade guys away. And, you know, what's the problem with, with trying to develop these young guys, like, What's the problem with bringing them up? I mean, bringing them up. I mean, if they if they do bad, the worst the worst thing that could happen is send them back down. Yeah. And you know, they I think they're grow I mean, they're grown men. I think they would understand why you're sending them down if they are yeah. batting 150 in the major leagues. Clearly they're not ready. And then if they're tearing it up in AAA, you know, give it a little bit of time. Don't bring them up immediately up again, but give it time and then see what happens the next season. It's it like I feel like I could do a better job than Billy Epler right now. I mean, I don't know why, but you know, I feel like I could do a better job. I mean, we're playing. I mean, we have the richest owner in baseball, and we don't want to go after, like you said, Wilson Contreras. We don't want to go after. Instead, we decided to uh, get Nito back. You know, bring in Narvaez. I'm not saying Narvaez is bad, but Narvaez is already had an injury. There's another bigger issue, and I really hope that. Uh, Mets owner Steve Cohen listens to what you and I are saying right now because Steve Cohen, this starts with you. This starts with you accepting mediocrity. George Steinbrenner, former owner of the New York Yankees, never accepted mediocrity. He did whatever it took to win, uh, whether it be make changes in the coaching staff, changes in the front office, 
changes in the players. He did whatever he had to do to try to win games. And um, it was winning a World Series was important to him. And I believe it's important to Cohen, too. But I understand Steve wants to trust his baseball guys, but your baseball guys are idiots. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, it's I, like the you... only one I think is smart is Showalter. Mm-hmm. And I, I think he would really be a good manager for this team if he has a guy like Carlos Beltran in the dugout with him. Uh, mm-hmm. Because Beltran. He understands playing the young guys. Showalter knows how to manage a baseball game uh, and manage a winning team. And as far as pitching coach goes, we need someone a hell of a lot better than Jeremy Hefner. What he's been doing to this team has been unacceptable. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like, uh, it's, this is on Hefner and Buck. Mm-hmm. Jimmy Yacobonis I- and Tommy Hunter should not be pitching in a close game whatsoever. They should not even have the chance to blow uh, a huge lead or something like that. They shouldn't even have the chance to implode against the Rockies. They shouldn't even have been discussed. Mm-hmm. It, that's for your more elite arms. And I'm sorry you couldn't put a start together because, you know what, that, that's on the Mets. That's on the Mets for, I don't You're know. Putting them in that position. Yeah, I, I mean, listen, sure. I think I think Jimmy Yacobonis or whatever – like, I don't even like I and yeah. Tommy Hunter, like no offense to them, but I think they know that they right now they are not in the spot to be pitching in a one run game or a tie game. Like they are not those type of relievers. Yep. Like, they aren't. And I like I, I, I honestly like I think that Buck hasn't been doing a good job. I don't think Jeremy Hefner has been doing a good job. And I agree with you. I think that bringing in somebody who, you know, retired, maybe. 10 years ago, maybe even five years ago, bring him in. You know what? Get David Wright on this, on this, on this uh, coaching staff. Yeah. Why not? Why and, not? Why not? What's the problem with that? I'm sure David Wright would love to, you know, make himself it, a little bit of extra money. And he's with the club that he was with his entire career that he loves so dearly. Why not? Why not give him the opportunity? David Wright was one of the best hitters we've seen in this, in, in this franchise ever. And you brought up an even better point than than I would have um, than I would have because you think about David Wright, right? Mm-hmm. That's not only great for everyone on this team. That's great for Brett Beatty, uh, in particular. We're talking about the franchise third baseman, the superstar player, over the next supposed to be over the next few years of our top prospect. Imagine if Brett Beatty can learn from David Wright. That's a perfect story, man. That's exactly what the Mets need. Mm-hmm. And as far as pitching coach goes, I would throw everything into the pot to get Al Leiter to be the pitching coach for this team. Al Leiter was so great in a big game. He was a bulldog on the mound. He's got that great mentality that yep. Jeremy Hefner, you know what that is? <laughs> uh, no, no offense, Jeremy Hefner. But I look at Jeremy Hefner and think about a pitcher that just blew a seven-run lead with a tail between his legs. Al Leiter, I think of a pitcher who just struck out the side and is grunting on the mound. That's what I think of. That's the difference. I'm not trying to be disrespectful by any means. I am just pointing out the facts. We need a pitching coach with balls. Yeah, I, I, 
again, you hit the you hit the uh, the head on the nail. I mean, it's like Jeremy Hefter's not doing it. Buck isn't isn't going up to his standard. I mean, I'm not calling Buck bad because I think Buck is still one of the best managers in baseball. But I mean, when you have all these injuries that have happened to the pitching staff, and you know the bullpen that we bulked up in the off season that just hasn't lived up to the name. I mean, it, like, can you, I mean, you can't fully place it on Buck. And like you said, there's other people on the, on the coaching staff as well, like, like Jeremy Hefner. It's um, something needs to change. And yep. we've been saying something needs to change and it hasn't changed. And I, I don't know where the Mets turn right now, other than, bringing up Vientos and Mauricio and obviously it doesn't fix our pitching concerns but we have all this money to use why not try to trade for a pitcher and get rid of guys like um get rid of guys like Canna and Nito and yep. you know it's it's like it's it's not a hard equation right no like have we, uh, I mean, I mean, I don't think we have, but I'm just asking this question. Have we yeah. ever brought up Ronnie Mar- Mauricio? I don't think we have, correct? No, we haven't. And and, and how old is he? he I'm was... not sure, but uh, I think he's close to 25, 23 maybe. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll look it up right now. Just um, But he's someone that needs to be brought up. I 100% agree on that. Okay, Mauricio is 22. Okay. So... He's about the age that players usually get called up. Yes. It's about time. Him sitting in AAA is only going to do bad things for his career. And I also think that him, you know, we brought up Vientos last year as well. I'm correct. Am I wrong in saying that? We also brought up Vientos last yeah, year. Yeah, we brought up Vientos. Yes. He kind of struggled a little bit. Yeah, but... yeah, yeah. He did struggle, but I didn't think any of us – I didn't think any of us really expected Vientos to really get called up last year. I, I mean, in my opinion, I thought it was a little bit of a shock. I feel like Vientos got, you know, he still had a little bit more time in him down in AAA that he could have used. And like you said, he struggled. And I guess I was right with that statement. Yeah. Why did we bring him up? You know, but it's – we brought up every single guy so far but Mauricio. And I feel like unless it's something that we don't know – you know, it, if if we don't bring up the, uh, Mauricio in the next coming days, I like I think that we're failing him because he's proven that he could be on a major league roster. And, I mean, when I look at Ronnie Mauricio, I see his potential to be similar to um, uh, Jordan Alvarez. He, like, yeah. he is so big. And has so much potential. He has cr- great, crazy pop in the bat, but and and he also he he's a decently speedy guy for his for his size. He is pretty yeah. big, and I I I just it's I mean there has been reports of him of him coming up, and I really hope to see that happen soon because you know. Well, I mean, like we did back in 2015, we brought up there in 2014 and those couple of years, we yeah. brought up all these guys and they turned out to be successes. I mean, we look at DeGrom, Syndergaard, and Fordo. Obviously, they're they're all not on the team anymore, but they yeah. had such good success for this team. And I would say partially, 
you know, not having Conforto anymore, nor, I mean, and Syndergaard kind of just left us, but, you know, it's, it, they brought really good success to the team, and yeah, that's how we made that World Series run in 2015. Yep. We had our young guys step up, Conforto, you know, he, he did fantastic. I loved watching yep. him. That, that's the mold. And it was the same thing with DeGrom. DeGrom really took a step up after his 2014 season. He, he had a really good 2015 season. And Syndergaard lit it up, too. I mean, we don't have the pitching prospect like we did with DeGrom and Syndergaard, but, but we have the hitting prospects. Yeah. And I think that the more we hit, I think that the pitching will get more confident and get more relief because I feel like we can't have a, a game where – our pitching has been good and our hitting has been good. I feel like it's been one or the other or none. And right. that's a problem. And uh, I know that there's a lot of concern uh, with Max Scherzer. And I want, I want to talk to you about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I ha- I'm kind of in the minority on this one. I'm not concerned about Max Scherzer. Because nothing he's done in his career, unless unless he's washed, which I don't think he is, nothing Max Scherzer has done in his career has showed that he's going to be this bad for this team. Uh, the only concern that I have of his is health. But performance-wise, I think he'll come around. Because Max Scherzer has not gone on long streaks where he's been this bad before. He like it's almost like mm-hmm. he has to turn the page. He has to turn around. This is a guy that he's won three Cy Youngs, pitched two no hitters. Uh first like like he's literally a first ballot hall of famer. First ballot hall of famer. He knows the necessary steps he has to take to get better. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about like a David Peterson who uh when he struggles it's a snowball effect. <laughs> We're not talking about uh, Steven Matz from a few years ago who always had the stuff but it never translated. Mm-hmm. We're talking about a three-time Cy Young Award winner and future first ballot Hall of Famer, which is uh, why I'm not, I'm not concerned about Max's performance whatsoever. Yeah, I would say I'm not I'm not heavily concerned on it because, again, Max, Max Scherzer is Max Scherzer. It's more of like the age thing because, you know, we do have to look at, you know, he was really, like, obviously his whole entire career he's been so good. But maybe he has hit that, like, that stump, you know, that age where he's like, my body is really not starting to feel good and I feel like my stuff's not as there yet. You know, it's I, it's it's really hard to tell whether he's washed or not because again it's Max Scherzer and last year when he was on the field for us he was really good other than that wild card game obviously but yeah. it, it does also seem like at like since that wild card game he hasn't been Max Scherzer and I don't know if that's affecting him and this is a guy that is really hard on on himself this is a yeah. guy that that pushes others but pushes himself even more. Yeah. He if he sees himself that he's struggling, he he will literally just fight his demons for probably a night straight. Probably wouldn't be able to sleep. I mean, we talk about with our baseball coach. He's saying, you know, whenever we lose, 
you know, he's not able to sleep at night. I feel like it's the same thing with Max Scherzer when he's failing. He's probably yeah. not able to sleep with himself at night. It's so it, it really is tough to say because again, his age plays a big factor into it. And it's the same thing with Verlander, you know, it, I mean, it's a concern, but it's not that much of a concern yet. You know, we're still, right. we're still about 35 games into the season. You know, we gotta, yeah. we gotta chill out a little bit yep. about, about Verlander and, uh, Scherzer being washed because again we still have seventy percent of our of the season left. Yep. Um. But yeah, it's definitely not a good start. No. <laughs> and I was also I also saw something on Instagram and it was um, and it was uh, a meme about the Mets uh being last year going off on going starting off so hot and then losing in the wild card, and then the the next slide was um. Mets starting off cold and then starting or and then becoming hot again. I mean, I feel like it's a possibility, but you know, the resilience last year that that team showed, even when they did go on a little stint, they instantly brought it back. I just don't see that same energy with this team. Um, I also feel like uh, they're feeling like the fans are really like not behind them right now. So they, I mean, it's it also can't be the fans' fault because right. when we pay three hundred thirty million dollars and we're paying all this money to go to games and buying merchandise and doing all this just for our team to lose after being the high spending team this year, it's it's really not a good look and you can't expect us fans as like you know us Met fans to be okay with this you know and you look at the course of this fan base right we have had how many moments over the years right we won in 86 it was a wonderful thing you and i were both not alive for that so we still we still haven't won anything in our lives closest we've had is 15 yeah so look at uh the early 90s Worst team money could buy, which is what this team is now. Uh, that had Bobby Bonilla and uh, I don't even want to hear that name. Yeah, uh, all of them, and yeah. you know the Brett Saberhagen days. It was that team. You know, um, they didn't have much then. Then you get to the late nineties. Things are starting to change. We get Robin Ventura, Mike Piazza. Uh, we bring up Edgardo Alfonso. Uh, we have Ray Ardonias. We have those guys. We have those stars, right? Mm-hmm. Make it to the World Series in 2000. We lose to the Yankees. Okay. And by the way, the 99 season was a better regular season than 2000. So think about that. Mm-hmm. 2001, we're still a solid team, right? We haven't really won anything after that. Then we get to 2006. The Mets, great, uh, great regular season. The playoffs, uh, Andy Chavez makes an excellent catch. And then uh, Carlos Beltran strikes out looking at Adam Wainwright's curveball. Uh, Mets eliminated from the postseason after one of the best regular seasons in franchise history. Mm-hmm. And we had years of silence. Uh, but the year that 
a lot of people say is the moment that killed them as a Met fan. After signing Tom Glavin, one of the greatest brave pitchers who have ever uh, pitched for the Atlanta Braves, one of the great, one of the greatest Braves of all time, mm-hmm. signed with the Mets, had the worst start uh, in New York Met history. He allowed, I think it was six, seven runs before recording an out, and a lot of people make the comparison with Max Scherzer to Tom Glavin. Scherzer pitched many years with the Washington Nationals, destroying the Mets. Glavin pitched many years with the Braves, uh, destroying the Mets. The only thing is, Max Scherzer is not okay with what he's doing now. Tom Glavin, after he imploded and blew the Mets season, uh, his words were, I'm disappointed, but I can't say I'm devastated. He said something like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just a lack of caring. Then 15, right? Make it to the World Series. Um, You know, miracle team. Seemed like we were the destiny team and we were going to win that year. And we really had a terrible World Series. Then 16, lose the wild card game, and it's been radio silence ever since then. Yeah, I mean, the closest we were was last year. And again, like, I mean, I would say last year was also one of the best regular seasons this team, I mean, I mean, this team has seen. I mean, yeah. when you look at what we were doing, we had the best closer in baseball. I, I mean, I saw a stat. We were, we were only shut out about eight times. Yeah. Um, you know, all of these things. We had disgusting pitching last year. Um. It's, it, it's honestly just, I kind of want to just go back to last year. Me too. And, and like, even though we lost in the wild card, it's like, I had like a lot of happiness because of what we did last year in the regular season. And, 100%. you know, obviously the, that wild card loss was devastating because we thought we were easily going to get past the first round. Um, or not easily, but you know what I mean. Like we were destined to at least make it to the second round, maybe. Right. Um, you know, I think that last year, I feel, I think we're still living in last year, and I think what we need to do is make some. We need to make a lot of changes, uh, front office, coaching staff, and uh, in the lineup. Um, I think that um, we need to. I think that every, before every single game, we need to watch the 2015 Met documentary over. Um, because you know that team definitely had its rough stint. I mean, yep. you, you, I mean, you remember in 2015, um, we were one of the hottest teams in baseball, and yep. our hitting just shut down. I mean, our pitchers were hitting better than our hitters yep. at some point in 2015, and then we just. We, we started going up. I mean, we started going up again, and that was the main reason was the spark from that, from the um, um, the Wilmer Flores uh, shenanigans that was happening. Yep. And, and that, the trade for Cespedes. And then the trade for Cespedes. I mean, you. I mean, you saw. I mean, obviously the Wilpons were running it in 2015, but you saw the commitment that uh, the front office had, and that the team had. Like, okay, we hit. 
a rough patch, but we're not going to give up. And right now it seems like we've been just average and we're not trying to get above that average mark. And I just think we're still living in the past. I think that everybody reliving last year and seeing it as a nightmare when I think they need to see it as a positive, you know, a learning experience, you know, they were so, they were so high until going into the brave series and then they kind of just shut down and I don't think they've changed ever since. Yeah. Brave series, you know, I mean, I don't want to, you know, the Braves really have made the Mets collapse right now. Like that was the start of it. Yep. And I hope that we could fix it. It's, you know, baseball's a mental game. And usually when these, when the entire team is not performing to its standards, it's uh, it really shows the mental toughness of the team and how yep. our mental toughness is not very tough. And Buck Showalter said something great at the beginning of the season. They asked him, why do you think you have great clubhouse chemistry? And he said, because we won, because we won a lot of games last year. And it's easy for a team to get along and to have a great time and just have great clubhouse chemistry if they're winning. If they're losing, and Buck's line was – you never hear about good team chemistry with a losing team because that New York Met team from last year, they won a lot of games. The most dysfunctional Met team that I remember, uh, not that I remember, but the most dysfunctional Met team in recent years was the 2021 Mets mm-hmm. with Rat and Raccoon and all that stuff. That's a team that collapsed, I would say, pretty early. They collapsed in July, or, and then they had the June swoon and all that stuff, yeah. uh, which last year, it was a September collapse. So, Yeah, I mean, in 2021, was that, I mean, the, I mean, was that the year where Edwin Diaz just kept pointing up to the sky? and? Yep, it was. Yeah, I, that was, I, I remember this vividly because the start of the Mets' downfall was the Pirates series before the All-Star break. Yep. I don't, like, I don't remember if – I mean, I don't know if you remember, like, but we lost two out of three. I went to two of those games. We lost both of those. We lost the first two games of the series. But after the All-Star break, it all went downhill until September arrived in 2021, and it, all of a sudden it looked like we were a team again. Well, it was too late. It, it was too late. I mean, we saw, like – Dom Smith came back, you know, he was having so much fun, you know, it, it seemed like we actually finally had an energy on the team. Yeah. And, and then you see, tw- and then you say, so 2022, I mean, we had that energy in 2021 in September, the last month of the season for us, because we didn't make the playoffs and we carried it into 2022 and then we finished bad. Yeah. Now and- we're starting bad. Do you kind of see the reoccurring theme that like, I'm, I'm, it seems like we keep yeah. living in the past. I mean, like you said with Buck, Buck said, well, we won 101 games last year, so it's kind of easy to have Team Ken. Well, yeah, but it's, it, you know, people te- people left on that team and new people got brought in. Obviously, most of the I mean, most of the guys we have are, are from last year's team, but it's going to be different. Every season's a little different. Yeah. And 
and you can't be living in the past. I mean, I always say like, you have to forget about the past, bad or good, and just live present the future. I mean, it's always good to remember some good things in the past, but you can't, you know, you can't harp on them. You need right. to be able to move up, move, move past it. And like I said, I just think that momentum is a lot of things is a key factor for this team. And we have, and ever since that brave series, we've haven't had that momentum. We need to go on a heater. We need to just keep winning and winning and winning and winning. We need to go on such a long winning streak that it just erases this entire thing. You win over the fan base again. Like if we win like eight games in a row, right? Mm -hmm. Nobody's going to remember about, uh, getting swept in Detroit. Nobody's going to remember that. They're going to remember, wow, the Mets just won eight in a row. Uh, They're having a great stretch right now. Yeah. And you think about that. You think about the the Mets overall. That's what they need. And it starts with their superstars performing. Uh, Alonzo, Lindor. Mark. um, You know, those guys. Marte. They all need to start performing because without those guys doing what they're expected to do, we're not going to win anything because we don't have the offense that you can afford three guys slacking Mm -hmm. because we got a whole bottom of the order that isn't producing at all. You know, we're getting nothing offensively. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I mean, the bottom of the order, other other than the two rookies, have not been doing anything. Um, and that's another point too. I do think that Brett Beatty should get moved up in the lineup at some point. Yeah. I think that Brett Beatty should be sitting like around five or even put him in the two slot and see how he does, you know, getting, getting just, just getting them at bats and at bats, yep. bats instead of three, make it four. Like most of yep. the guys at the bottom of the lineup are only going to get three ABs a game. Cause that's usually how it shakes out. The people at the top of the lineup always get the more, ABs. Yep. And, you know, you want to talk about, you know, developing these guys, but you're not give you're not taking the risk. And I feel like at this point, this is what the team needs. The team needs a risk. You can't just be sitting around and putting out the same lineup every single day. You need to start switching things up. Exactly. Uh, start putting people in different holes. And it's, you know, try, I mean, Jeff McNeil has had, you know, he's had a he 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 has a pretty he's he's had a pretty good season to start the year so far. I'm pretty sure he's batting around 290 right now. Yeah, you know, not the Jack McNeil we saw last year. Obviously, I don't no. I don't know if that could be topped. You know, I think it could be. You know, I think he could. You know, have the same season as he did last year, but I don't know if it could be topped. Um. Uh, but you know, trying him in the nine hole, I think Jeff McNeil would be a fantastic nine holer. I mean, I'm not I'm not saying that he's bad. I'm saying that Jeff McNeil is a slap hitter. He's able to get on base. He's he does everything that the team asks him to do. He he's a real punter. Yeah. He's a really good small ball player. Putting him in the nine holes not too bad of an idea. Putting Beatty like like why do we have? I mean, no offense to Buck, but I don't agree with having him in the three hole. Like I'm pretty sure we had him in the three hole t- today. Yeah. Um. McNeil is batting third. Yeah. Right now. Um. I feel like that's that's just not the way to so, go. Can I tell you how I like it? How do you like it? I would prefer if this sounds nuts, right? But clearly, what we're doing ain't working. Yeah, Tony Larusa 
had a thing that he used to do, the double leadoff. I would have Francisco Lindor lead off. That's what he did in Cleveland. That's what made him successful. I like that. He I, did that in the well, WBC. You move Brandon Nimmo to the nine hole. Uh, like well, then second, then you put you put McNeil there because Nimmo has been struggling, right? Yeah. I in the Tiger series, he went like. I don't think he had a hit, and he had, like, seven strikeouts. Like, that is so yep. uncharacteristic for Brandon Nimmo. And, you know, moving him to the nine hole isn't draining his confidence. And if he sees it that way, then maybe he shouldn't be in the big leagues at all because getting moved to the nine hole, if you if your confidence gets drained from that, then, you know, that's that's a completely different story. But, you know, that's not a bad idea at all. I think putting – you know, it's not like Lindor has bad – has bad speed it's just that Lindor doesn't like to walk a lot you know he likes to smack smack the shit out of the baseball yeah and and you know but like you said putting him into one hole he's a very flexible hitter because he's a switch hitter you know and you know Beatty in the two you know maybe put maybe put Jeff and Nimmo at eight and nine I feel like that could be a good a good scenario where where it really balances out the lineup instead of putting Nito at nine and then Daniel Vogel back at eight or something like that, you know, and then putting Francisco Alvarez at seven and then so on and so forth. You know, it's, it's, it's something needs to change. Yeah. And, and, and I don't care if feelings get hurt. Like you need to understand your, your exactly. major leagues. You are grown men. I don't care if your feelings get hurt. Something needs to change. And Buck needs to realize that. Yeah, and my ideal would have McNeil batting second and Beatty batting third because I think Beatty has what it takes to be a big yeah. RBI guy. Mm-hmm. And then you have Pete batting fourth. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and then Marte uh, fifth. You know, you look at all those things, and then Alvarez sixth. You know, you look at all those things, and everything points to Brett Beatty. Pete Alonso and Francisco Lindor being the big three for this team. Uh, I understand it's a lot to put on a rookie, but I'm saying this because I think Brett Beatty can handle the pressure. I think Brett Beatty has what it takes. And I think that he doesn't get shaken by too much. I think he treats his ABs professionally. I think he's a big thing with him is he doesn't talk much. He doesn't, uh, doesn't chirp, plays the game respectfully. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, his big thing is every single AB, every rep, he does it uh, professionally and well. And I think that's it's a really good sign for the Mets. Uh, and that's the one positive I could take away from this so far. Uh, our young guys starting to perform in Alvarez and Beatty. Yeah, it. it thank God. I mean, like, we were worried about – I mean, I wasn't too worried about Rep Beatty, but we were worried about Francisco Alvarez for a grip. And then, you know, we started to pick it up, which was very good. And, I mean, the whole thing comes back to, like, why are we afraid to kind of be the Tampa Bay Rays but not be the Tampa Bay Rays at the same time? We, I mean, we see the Tampa Bay Rays, they bring up prospects and they turn into superstars like that. I mean, we, we, we see, like, their farm system always performs for them. They've always had young guys that have performed at a high level. And that is because of their management with the minor league system. You know, when to bring guys up, when to not bring guys up. 
etc. Yeah. Um, I feel like if we find that, if we find that, but we would also hold on to them as well because, you know, we have the money to do that. The Tampa Bay Rays don't. Right. Um, I feel like if we kind of look at it to where we need to stop spending so much money on these old guys that have the potential of not being what they once were or taking the risk in being that really good caliber or taking a risk in the young guys that could profit for many years to come. Yep. And you look at good organizations, right? I'm going to name for you who I think the three best organizations are. I think the Astros, the Braves, and the Rays. Those three organizations have one thing in common. They don't need to spend uh, millions upon millions of dollars to put a team on the field. They develop top prospects, pitching, hitting, uh, all five tools, right? Yeah. They develop everything in the minor leagues. They might fill a spot here or there with a top free agent. Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, obviously not the Rays, but we've seen the Braves do it, and we've seen um, Houston do it. Yeah, Houston do it. But let's talk about uh, the 2021 Braves. All those guys were developed. Albies, uh, Freddie Freeman, and um, Acuna, guys like that. You know, obviously Freddie's gone, but they replaced them with trading their resources that they had in the minor leagues for Matt Olson. So not only does it work one way, it also works that if you have a surplus of it, you can trade it okay. and get the superstar that you need. And that's what Houston does. I mean, Houston developed Jeremy Pena and Carlos Correa within the past few years. No, and like that's crazy to me. Jeremy Pena came onto the scene out of nowhere. He won didn't he win World Series MVP? Yeah. Like exactly. Exactly my point. We see, and I and the concern going into the season was, I mean, like I wasn't trying to put any karma on the Mets or anything, but typically when these big market teams spend a lot of money, and I mean a lot of money, they typically don't live up to the standards that people really thought they were. You know, we see Yankees, they spend so much money. The Dodgers, they spend so much money. You know, Dodgers, obviously, they won it a couple years ago. That was, but that was the COVID season. But you see, like, they're not, they're not doing, we see the Tampa Bay Rays, they're 29 and seven. How much, what do they spend? 80 million? Yeah. Around there. Uh, uh, 22 and 13. Like, come on. Like, we need to understand these are, these are teams. Yeah. With young, disgusting players that are, that are ready to go out there and fight and not only to keep their spot but to help their team win because having their because having their team win means they keep their spot why would they switch it up if they're winning i mean yeah you need to understand i mean what this team needs to understand is that yes signing signing big free agents um you know it's a good thing it could also be a bad thing bringing up bringing up prospects could be a boom or a bust right Uh, you have to kind of find that happy medium like these teams have been finding. Um, and, yeah, that's really that's really what I got. Yeah. And you can go and sign uh, Justin Verlander, but you got to have the guy that's going to 
be a starting pitcher after Justin Verlander. Mm-hmm. This but- is a two-year window that we have on this guy. We have this year and next year, and that's it for Scherzer. We have two years of Quintana. This is the last year of Carrasco. We're going to look at within the next year or two, we're going to replace an entire rotation. You know how crazy that is? We're going to have, we're going to, have to spend almost $400 million again because we're going to be over the luxury tax to begin with because mm-hmm. we're already paying a bunch a bunch of money for our position players. And Escobar, Canna, uh, those guys coming off the books, they're not going to make a huge difference because we still got Lindor and uh, Nemo and th- those other big contracts. Were they mistakes? No. With a lot of them, too early to tell. But the big thing here is you got to have a good plan. You cannot go out there and run out a team with a minimum age of 35. Mm-hmm. That's unacceptable. Mm-hmm. I agree. And you, I think, oh, sorry, were you going to? Yeah. You can't, you can't keep doing it that way. That's been the way we've been doing it for years, since 2015, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know why, why in their right mind, they started to change that because they had many years when they were bringing up these top prospects and winning with these top prospects, uh, having fairly successful seasons. And then now they go and decide to, um, they decided to go and change that and no longer bring up those top prospects, utilize top prospects. And you're just signing a 35-year-old wash veterans, like, mm-hmm. it just makes no sense. It's just, they went away from the plan and what the mold was, and it just, it just doesn't work, and they need to understand that. Yeah, and, I mean, I think the key difference of this year to last year is that we, when we signed people last year, we got Canna, we got Marte, we got Escobar, they weren't 35 years old. They were 32 to 33. They were still having a, they still had that. I mean, that's why we signed Canna and Escobar to two year deals and we signed Martin. Yep. They still had a, like some left in the tank, not a lot, but they still had some. Right. So they weren't at their elite top tier performance as they were, but we still had someone left in the tank like we did with Canna. We only signed him for 10 mil. He had a great season for us last year. We signed Escobar for 10 mil. He, he started off really well. He got in a cold streak, then he picked it up at the end. Marte had a yep. really good season until he got injured last year. Um, yep. It's, it's all about money management and planning for the future. in right. the That's why you have this whole minor league system. And if we are really committed to winning now and we don't care about a plan, I would expect us to be trading some prospects that aren't, I mean, that are really good, but aren't worth the future. Because, I mean, I think that um, Jet Williams, the shortstop, is really good, but he has no place on this team. Right. When you look at it, he has no place on this team. Right. When, if, give, you know, if you want, if, he has a lot of potential too. He could be very successful for another franchise, but we already have our middle infielders set in stone for the next six to seven years. We yeah. have Ed Alonso, who's our franchise first baseman. We've established that already. 
Brett Beatty. Um, he, he might move to the outfield when Vientos comes up. But again, Jet Williams has nowhere to go. Jet, Jet, yeah. He's too small to play the outfield. He has nowhere to go. If we want to win now, I would expect us to ship off Jet Williams, maybe a pitching prospect, for a pretty good pitcher this year. Because I, I, I don't think we need hitting by the time we bring up Ron, Ronnie Mauricio and Mark Vientos. Because it's it's going to come. It's just I agree. when this team is going to actually start hanging their balls and not and, and not be cautious anymore and actually and actually take risk. And the other thing, too, is I think the Mets need to almost take uh, – the Mets almost need to take an approach of uh, the NFL, right? Franchise mm-hmm. quarterback. About a year or two in advance – before when it, when their uh, when their time is going to end, they draft a new QB. Mm-hmm. They prepare for it. They're ready for it. The Mets need to take that approach with uh, some of their younger players. Uh, you know, we have those veterans for two years, three years. Plan for those veterans to be up in those two, three years, and if earlier, ship them off. Do what yep. you got to do. Uh, and the thing is. Yes, sorry. Francisco Lindor, right? Ten-year deal. Year nine, that's when. Year eight, year nine, that's when we should worry about uh, shortstop prospects. Until then, every single one of them should be traded. Exactly, I agree. Like, why? I get Jet Williams is a great player. He's a great base stealer. He's fast as hell. But we don't need him. Right. What did we draft him in the second round? Was it? Yeah. Why are we drafting a shortstop in the second round? What did we think Lindor was just going to automatically just like, or, or or all of a sudden just combust? Like, like we do understand this is uh, Francisco Lindor, and he's still like thirty one. Like we have to under, we, it's just like the planning is just not there right now, and yeah. I don't know what we're doing. But let's just hope the team can turn it around. You know, that's, that's what. That's what I'm hoping for. That's what they got to do. And as Buck Showalter always says, uh, the sky isn't falling. It's just a little bit of rain right now. And hopefully that's the case. I really, truly hope that's the case. I hope the New York Mets can turn the season around and give us, some, give us something to cheer about this summer. Give us something to get excited about. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, be the talk of the town. Uh, talking about the talk of the town, uh, there's a – an athlete from another sport that's been the talk of the town, and that's the Jets' new QB, and I'm amped about it. Uh, Aaron Rodgers is now the QB of my favorite NFL team, the New York Jets. I'm pumped about it. What are your thoughts as a Dolphin fan? Um, First off, I think it's going to be a great battle between that Dolphins defense and Aaron Rodgers and that Jets offense. Um, I think it's going to be really fun to watch, and I also think that the uh, the AFC East is going to be the most competitive division in football this year, just because you have this, the Aaron Rodgers, Tua, and Josh Allen, and I guess you could throw in Max Jones if you want to, but I don't think he's good. <laughs> um, but it, it it's going to be really fun to watch. Uh, do I? I think that now that the trade has finally come out and we see who got what. I do think that the Packers have did win, and I'm not even trying to be biased. It's just the fact that this is the Jets' two-year window, 
Right. Uh, Aaron Rodgers most likely after one or two seasons, he's gonna call it quits. He's gonna he's gonna hang up the ja- or he's gonna hang up the jersey. Um you know, and he they gave up another a first round pick next year. It's gonna be a first round pick because Aaron Rodgers is gonna play sixty five percent of the snaps this season. That's kind of I mean that's gonna be expected. So that conditional second is gonna turn into a first. Um and they're eating Aaron Rodgers cap as well. And I think that the NFL is kind of overrating the Jets a little bit. I feel like, yes, they got Aaron Rodgers, but they still have a really tough division ahead of them and a really tough conference. I mean, we see there are there are numerous people putting the Jets in top six power rankings. And other than Aaron Rodgers, I don't think their roster is close to top six in the power rankings for the whole entire league. I think that they're it's, you know, I give them credit for building a really good team after being, you know, really bad for so many years. Um, I give them credit for it, but you know, you have to understand the, so like the amount of things that go into football. I mean, Aaron Rodgers doesn't have that offensive-minded head coach anymore. He has Robert Sala. Robert Sala is a defensive-minded head coach. Um, it's his first year in a completely new franchise in a completely new system. You know, he he does he he does have the wep- most of the weapons that he had in Green Bay, which was good for the Jets. That that was a good move. But I also feel like bringing in those those receivers from the Packers, you know, it helps with Aaron Rodgers' chemistry. But does it really help you, uh, you know, compete with the other wide receiving rooms and the other skill position rooms that other teams have? I mean, I see. I mean, I look at a lot of other skill position rooms, and I see, other than Aaron Rodgers, I see that the, you know, the Jets are kind of outnumbered in the AFC a lot of times with the skill positions. You know, they have Garrett Wilson, who's a great number one. He's going to be a great future wide receiver for you guys but then you have Alan Lazard and I think McCole Hardman when in compared you see Jamar Chase T Higgins Tyree Kill Jalen Waddle you know you see all these wide receiver tandem duos you know I it's going to be really fun to watch I just think that right now they are getting overrated a little bit I the season IV hasn't even started we haven't seen Aaron Rodgers even step on the field yet. I I agree with you to a point I mean uh, the story now, I- I'm going to put this out there first. Rodgers is not Brett Favre 2.0 because Rodgers wants to be here. He's passionate about this place. Uh, Cobb said today, he's like, this is the happiest he's seen Aaron Rodgers in years. Uh, he cleaned himself up. He ch- changed the way that he's living right now. Uh, he's just happier uh, to be where he is. Uh, he feels basically revamped, and a mm-hmm. new location is the perfect thing for him. And I think it's something that he needed. And that's what a lot of his teammates said. The issue that comes across is we've kind of created a notion now where we're the New York Packers instead of the New York Jets. Uh, we're bringing a lot of his old weapons uh, to New York, and – you could look at it as a good thing and say, hey, he's worked with these people before. Or you can look at it as a bad thing. We're bringing a lot of washed players here mm-hmm. uh, or a lot of below average players here. 
uh, in order to make Aaron Rodgers comfortable. Um, it's one of those things we just got to wait and see where how it pans out. Uh, I don't think we're top six. Uh, I agree on that uh, because it's just nothing about the Jets makes you believe that they're top six. Um, it's just one of those things we'll wait and see. They're either going to do one of two things. I don't think they're going to live up to expectations. They're either going to overperform or they're going to underperform. They're not going to do exactly what's expected because they are the Jets, remember. You there? Uh, sorry, guys. Um, we were over our time limit. We're just going to edit back in uh, what we were going to say. Uh, what were you saying again? So I was saying that uh, you are completely right about the Jets bringing in uh, new or bringing in old Packers to feel Aaron Rodgers to feel to have Aaron Rodgers feel comfortable. I just think that you know we have to see what happens because saying that the Jets are now a top six seven team in the league is a, and just automatically saying they're going to win the AFC East in my opinion is just completely ridiculous because you know people have to remember that the Dolphins have one of the most fastest offenses and has one of the most talented rosters up to up and down the board it's just the concerns with Tua uh you see the Bills the Bills has have made it into the divisional or better for the last couple of seasons and the Patriots, they, they're going to be competitive because of Bill Belichick and what he can do there. Um, you know, when I look at the Jets, I, I think that they are definitely going to be a division contender and even a, a playoff contender. It just depends on how good the system around or how good they built the system around Aaron Rodgers and how good Aaron Rodgers does in a completely new franchise and a completely new system. Right. Um, with a completely different-minded head coach. Because, you know, you see it multiple times with, you know, I mean, I'm not trying to, you know, bring up the Dolphins, but you saw it with Tua and Brian Flores. Brian Flores and Tua, uh, they butt heads when Tua was in his first couple of years as, as, um, as QB, you know, Brian Flores didn't build a good offensive system around Tua for Tua to succeed. He, Tua had three to four different O-line coaches, or the O-line had three to four different O-line coaches. Um, we had three different offensive coordinators in the two years that Tua was there. You know, we had all this different stuff, um, and that's a defensive-minded head coach not understanding the offense. Right. And do I think that will happen with the Jets? I don't I don't think so because I think that Aaron Rodgers obviously is light years away from two and I think that Aaron Rodgers can make anything possible and can make anything happen. At the same time too, you know, you got I mean people got to stop calling out that they're going to win the AFC East already when there is this much competition and like we said New York sports, you know, they're always going to do something wrong. You know, something's yeah. always going to happen. I mean, Right. I like to always say the Mets are going to Met and the Jets are going to Jet. I mean, it's just, it's it's happened over and over again and it's going to continue to happen. I mean, we saw it with the Jets last year. The Jets started, I mean, the Jets and Dolphins started off really well and the Jets and Dolphins both completely fell off until 
they had that abysmal last regular season game to fight for a playoff spot. Whoever won that yeah. game made it to the playoffs. And that was an abysmal game. I watched the entire thing and I literally couldn't watch it because of the terrible offensive performance from Miami because we had a third string in that QB yep. against a really good defense in the Jets. Um, and I don't know. I just, I feel like, I feel like calling them out as AFC East favorites are a little, is, is a little, it's a little pushing it. I mean, they could prove me wrong. They could win the division and, you know, I'll give them them. I'll give them props easily. But right now I think that there are definitely better rosters that are definitely able to compete with them to like a very high level. I agree. I think that it's a lot of things that have to be taken into consideration. Um, and the only thing that we're going to know is um, we're going to have to wait till the season starts, see how everything pans out. It can, everything can go according to plan, but there's a reason these games are played and not just assumed on paper. Mm-hmm. And um, that's really what it is. Like You can even make the comparison with the Mets. Just because the Mets spent $400 million doesn't mean that they're winning at all. It doesn't even mean that they're a top three team in the league. You know, and that's where a lot of people go wrong. They get excited about the great move temporarily. (laughs) You know, okay, the Mets signed Justin Verlander. That didn't make them World Series favorites. The Jets um, traded for Aaron Rodgers. That doesn't make them Super Bowl favorites. You know, we got to learn to take a step back when a big move is made. Be excited about the move. Makes the team Mm -hmm. better. Yep. But you're not guaranteed to win it all after making a big franchise-changing move. Yep. And, I mean, you you said it right there. I mean, you could be excited, but don't overreact about it, you right. know. Be excited, but also be humble. Yep. All right, you have to realize that all all four of these teams in the AFC East could win the division, maybe other than the Patriots, because the Patriots, compared to their other three teams, are significantly worse. It's just that, you know, Bill Belichick's going to, you know, do whatever he can. Yeah. Not to mention the Patriots had a pretty good draft as well. Um, But, yeah, you know, you got to be humble about it a little bit. You got to be able to, you know, really look at things in a, bro- in a broader perspective and realize that, okay – well, there's a good chance the Jets lose, or there's a good chance the Jets go three and three in their division. And when you go three and three in a division, you are most likely not going to win the division. Right. And I could see that happening, you know, either losing twice to Buffalo, uh, losing twice to Miami. I don't think that's going to happen, though. Um, or just losing to the Pats, Dolphins, and Buffalo, just splitting with all three of them. Yep. And ending three and three. Um, because I know that the Patriots have always had the Jets number, you know, for the last, you know, however many years. And obviously they don't have Tom Brady anymore, but, you know, it's still the Patriots. Yeah. Um, I just think that people need to take, take a step back a little bit, really be able to, like, gather, you know, who's bet like, who's better positionally, who do you, like, who's better coaching staff-wise. And not just look at one person and say, yep, they're going to win the division. Because even though you do need a franchise quarterback to be successful in this league, you also need a team around them. Right. You know, I mean, and you see, I mean, you see it, for example, I mean, in the Super Bowl with 
uh, a couple of years ago with Patrick Mahomes when he got destroyed by the Bucks defense. He didn't have an offensive line with them. You know, yeah. Patrick Mahomes is the best QB in the league, but when he doesn't have an offensive line to protect them, he can't do anything. It, right. I, mean, it, I mean, it's the same thing when you don't give people weapons. I mean, Tua, Tua, what, I mean, Tua with weapons now is a very good quarterback. Do we know how he would be with, with uh, the, I mean, with uh, weapons that other teams had? We don't know. But, you know, putting people around them is really what's, is really what's important. I mean, we saw Aaron Rodgers go eight and nine with, with the weapons that he had last year. And you guys brought in yep. the same weapons, you know, you gotta, you know, people just got to take step, uh, take a step back a little bit, you know, it's, I mean, that's all I'm saying. It's, you got to really look at things in a brighter view instead of just looking at, Oh my God, Aaron Rodgers, we're winning the division. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's agreed. That's why, I mean, that's why they feel 22 men in a football team. You know, every single position matters. Yep. And, and that's the big thing. It's like, don't try to give anybody bulletin board material that, because you know this is going to happen, right? If the Jets some game this year, which is going to happen, every team loses games. Fans yep. are going to call for the heads of Rodgers, say to fire solid. That's what the fans are going to do. Then you're going to see opposing fans showing all the rankings from preseason. You're going to have overreactions galore. So it's best to kind of just be like, we got him. We're glad we got our guy. But just shut up about it because that's the best thing we can do. We're a team that has won nothing in 69. You know, it's back and surprise mm-hmm. people. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, surprising people is the best thing. You know, I mean, I'll take, I mean, I'll put some, um, you know, I will say myself, I did, over, I mean, I overreacted about, you know, how good Tua was going to be and how much of a success yeah, you, was going to be right away. And, and I was wrong until he really did show it. You know, I took all the criticism, I mean, the first two years of his career, until he made that yep. year three jump, and then I was able to, you know, combat it. But, but I, I had a taste of my own medicine, and I feel like if people keep overreacting about the Jets, and you know, keep saying that they're a top seven, top eight team in the league, it's gonna come back to bite them in the ass, just like it did with with me and Tua. You know, I mean, yeah. I had high hopes with Tua. And his first two years, it didn't pan out, and I took all the criticism. I mean, you know about it, Churn. Yeah. I took, and I mean, I fought daily about that man. Yep. And, you know, you got to be able to have a little bit of humble pie, be able yep. to sink it in, and then have them perform, and then you could talk right. your shit, you know? Yep. And then it's a lot better then, too. And – we all know I, I've made a lot of those same mistakes that you have. Um, that's kind of, that's kind of a thing that I'm known for, but you know, it's just one of those things like it's just so much better than if you win and uh, your favorite player, or your favorite team surprises people because then you know what, then you can talk. Then you got the mm-hmm. right to talk. Exactly. You know, premature talking, which is something that, uh, Granted, we're sports fans. We're human. We're emotional about our teams. 
that stuff, it's understood. It's going to happen. You know, arguments between fan bases, believing in a player versus not believing in a player, that's all common stuff. That's all routine. Mm-hmm. But where it goes wrong is when you start making outrageous claims backed by no evidence whatsoever, and then you got to eat that during the season, after the season. And that's what a lot of the reporters are going to have to do. And they, they've they done that before. They've done that with many different teams. Let's not get to that point. Let's let the Jets be a surprise. Let's yeah. let them fly under the radar. We don't have to go and uh, blow them up like a balloon right now. Uh, we can get excited about them. That's a fact. Why not be excited about them? There's every reason to be excited about them. But be excited more about the race and the fight to win the division as opposed to we know what happened even as Met fans, right? We claimed the division was over in April, got off to a hot start last year. And we learned that that couldn't have been further from the truth because mm-hmm. the top two teams were closer than anyone would have expected. And then and then we had to eat it. Yep. We had to eat it ourselves. And, and like you said, the uh, you know, all these people that are, saying these things about the Jets being now Super Bowl contenders. I mean, the ev- I mean, I have evidence to back up me saying that they're overreacting about the Jets. They don't have any evidence to back it up. I mean, we saw the Jets, you know, they did pretty good last year for Jets standards. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, they, they had a lot of credit taken to them. And now being – being that they get Aaron Rodgers, I still think that there's a lot of rosters in this league that you could make a pretty strong debate that they're better than the Jets. So it's like on paper, with they don't have any evidence to support the Jets being a top six team, but a, but people saying that they're not a top sixteen, a top six team, do you know they? I mean, you could look at. The uh, the Chiefs roster. You could look at the yeah. Phillies roster. I think that the Dolphins roster is better than them. I think that you know the the San Fran's roster is better than them. Uh, I think Kansas City's roster is better than them. I think that I think that there's you know just taking a step back and just letting them do what they do. And that's why I've really f- refrained myself from really saying anything about like tours, anything anything about the Dolphins because when the Dolphins started off so hot last season going eight and three. I was talking so much because I didn't think that we would have such a big collapse with, you know, Tua getting injured again and, you know, injuries starting to pile up and, you know, I had to eat that us finishing nine and eight. Yeah. You know, I, I, I had to, I had to eat that. And that's why it's like, if people just take a step back and just let them perform, I feel like it's better. And I'm, I'm a Dolphin fan trying to help out Jet fans here, you know. Yeah. There's, there's so many Jet fans that are saying that they're going to make it to the play or, or win the division and make a deep playoff run. Well, that's what all the Dolphin fans were saying last year when we got Tyree Kill and when we uh, got Teron Armstead and when we actually got all these resources around Tua, including Mike McDaniel being such an offensive genius. And it didn't work out. Dolphin fans yep. had to eat that. We ate it from Charger fans uh, because Charger fans hate us because we always talk bad about Justin Herbert. Yeah. <laughs> and, and 
it's a, you know, it's, if you just take a step back and really just look at the bigger picture, then, you know, and just let your team rock, it's better. Yeah. And like, listen, I'm excited about Aaron Rodgers. I already pre-ordered the Jersey. <laughs> I mean, but I'm not going to go and be uh, dumb with my comments. Um, I'm going to try to keep it calm because I know that there's still the jets and we got to kind of be aware of that. And that's the big thing. Like, let's not declare the season over before it begins. Uh, we, we've done that many times before with all kinds of teams, all kinds of sports. Uh, it's a mistake that's made all the time, but it's proven time and time again, it doesn't work and you got to play those games on paper. Doesn't win it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I think that's a great place to, uh, to start as sports fans. And that's a great way of thinking about it with the Mets from now on. That's a great way of thinking about it with the Jets. Uh, you know, I think it's something that us fans need to learn. So I would like to thank all you uh, listening to the podcast. Uh, we had a great show today. Uh, we'll be back soon enough. I'm Jonathan Chernin. And I'm Nolan Sullivan. And this was the Subway Station Sports Podcast.